Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, big news out of Young and the Restless this week. Uh, so, Donnie Boaz, who plays Chance, tested positive for the coronavirus, and he had to take a brief break from the show. So, fortunately, he didn't show any symptoms, and he's already back at work. But for where they were in the story, they needed a temporary replacement, and they hired Melissa Ordway's real-life husband, Justin Gaston, to play Chance to her Abby. Now, of course, Justin actually was the first Ben on Days of Our Lives, so he has experience in soaps. Um, and, you know, while I I'm so sorry that Donnie was sidelined, you know, especially for the reason. I think it's going to be so cute to see Melissa and Justin on screen together. I mean, anyone who follows them on Instagram knows how adorable they are. I'm excited to see their on-screen dynamic. Um, And, you know, I love how soaps are pivoting to manage the spread of the virus as best they can by using the actor's spouses as stand-ins for kissing scenes like they did on B&B with Tanner Novelin's Finn and his wife Kayla Ewell and Lawrence St. Victor's Carter with his wife Shay. And not just kissing scenes, right? Like YNR brought in uh, Melissa Claire Egan's husband, Matt Catrazar, to play Chelsea's kidnapper, who also obviously needed to come in very close contact with her because it is very difficult to kidnap someone at a safe six foot distance. Uh, And likewise, you know, I've really been impressed by how GH has managed to fake intimacy, fake intimate kissing uh, with creative camera work and so forth. Uh, I actually talked to uh, Eden McCoy, who plays Jocelyn, like the day or the day after Jocelyn Cameron had that like sweet kiss at the school dance. And I told her how cute I thought it was. And she was very funny about how uh, sort of awkward it felt to her to film this new way of kissing where your lips come somewhat close, but never actually meet. But through the, you know, the magic of camera work and editing, I thought it was almost as good as the real thing. I mean, I did too. I think this is the first time I'm learning that they actually didn't kiss. Um, (laughs) And you know, it is really beyond impressive what the shows have been able to pull off. I mean, hats off to them. And, you know, as we're now like officially heading into the holiday season with Thanksgiving right around the corner, you know, I know it's going to look a little different this year, not only in everyone's real life, but, you know, on camera as well. Um, We've gotten so used to Bold and Beautiful's like all cast Thanksgiving episode at the Forrester Mansion, but you know, we'll have to wait until next year for that. And I know Days is having a more low-key celebration as well, but the day will be marked nonetheless. And YNR also has on-camera plans that will include a lot of social distancing. Well, I don't know this for a fact, but I would venture to guess that even in 2020, there is a better than 90% chance that the Quartermains will have pizza in lieu of turkey on uh, General Hospital. (laughs) Um, Now, speaking of the quarter mains, we saw one of them say goodbye to poor Charles this week. Brianna Lane wrapped up her run as Brooklyn, who left town to go stay with Lois for a while and regroup. She also bought a pregnancy test, so we've been left with the cliffhanger if there is a possible Brooklyn Valentine co-production waiting in the wings. <laughs> um, Brianna did such a super job filling in for Amanda Sutton, who will be reprising the role in the near future, uh, and we have a goodbye interview with her in the new issue of Digest. She told me that if GH were to call her and offer her a different role, she would absolutely jump at the chance. So maybe we will see her back down the line. And if not, I hope another show grabs her because she really delivered. 
Oh, she definitely did. And you know, it's no easy task to like jump into the middle of a story that was played by another actor and have such a seamless transition, but she did it. And you know, see Katie McLean as Daisy's Jennifer, which we mentioned last week. You know, another exit we're gonna see, and hopefully it's only temporary, is Heather Lindell, who is set to wrap her most recent run as Daisy's Jan, but not before some serious fireworks at Bell and Sean's wedding. Um, so Heather is actually a real estate agent in her other life, but she told me that if days came calling, she would love to make it work again because she really loved playing Jan. Um, you know, the last time she was back, she told me that she showed her sons who were six and eight, the work she did on the last glass reunion. And it like scared them because Jan <laughs> was so dark on that, but she was able to show them scenes she did this time around with John Aniston. And they thought she was funny and much less scary. Yeah, I don't know how my six or eight-year-old self would have reacted to seeing my mom play like such a good psycho. Uh, <laughs> I love that, that Days brought Jan back. You know, you, you kind of can't go wrong pulling from the past to create new drama. And obviously, Jan's past with Sean and Belle is so deeply twisted. There was a lot to pull from. <laughs> um, but I think when you have that nostalgia factor and then you support it with a good story, you're really setting yourself up for success. And I think we saw a, a similar dynamic at play uh, when GH brought our guest today, Rael Andrews, back to the show as Taggart. We'll have him tell us more about this, but as we discussed before on the podcast, they were going to kill Taggart off, you know, not fake his death. But when he got back on set as Taggart and that old Sonny Taggart magic was clear for all to see, both behind the scenes and among the viewing audience, uh, Taggart got a reprieve, and that's why it turned out that his death was only faked. I mean, that is such a cool story, and it really says so much about Rael and like what he brings to the character. You know, I have to admit, I mean, it's not someone who had really been on the forefront of everyone's mind in the last decade or so, but now that he's back, like, I don't want him to go. Um, so let's get him on the line and get his take on everything. Hi, Rael. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I am grateful to be here. Thanks for asking. Well, we are so happy you could join us today. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing amazing. It's a little cold though here for California, but I'm not going to try to... Uh, pass that one on to you too, because I know you're just going to laugh at me about that. <laughs> I will say this though: after years of like laughing at people in California, I have noticed that when you are in California and it's cold, it really does feel colder than mm -hmm. it does on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So I, I won't make fun of you. I believe you when you say it's cold. Well, I think it's because we're scantily dressed too, though. That's right. I yeah. think that could be a big okay. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> right, but you you come from North Vancouver, British Columbia. I would think you'd be used to cold weather, no? Well, that's it's not that's not cold, right? Because it snows okay. there. So for it to snow, it's got to be thirty three. But I do know, like when I came from um, back from Connecticut to LA, like when I was first here, I was like, what's up with all these people? Like all like running around like ninjas with all this cold weather gear on and stuff. And I'm like just running in shorts. Uh, so I was used to Connecticut cold, but pretty quickly you get acclimated to the California and the next thing you know, you're running around like a ninja thinking it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, if it wasn't freezing, tell us what it was like to grow up uh, in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. Um, you know, North Vancouver, it was a, it was, I have a lot of great memories for, you know, with North Vancouver. It's a small town, obviously. You know, I grew up of a class. I graduated class of, of 1800. I was the only African-American there. Um, you know, in hindsight, I just thought kids were mean and, you know, would bully you and say different things. Because my parents, they, it was, it's interesting because I didn't really realize I was different until I was older because my parents didn't really bring me up that way or they didn't bring me up that way at all of color and, and all those things. But I found out later on the years that I was perceived different ways. And, you know, I, I never, I never forget actually one of my best friends, I went to a private boys school for four years and one of my best friends of all time. And I used to go hang out with him. I used to stay at his house. We used to go to the Vancouver Canucks hockey games, all these things. And then many, many, many years later, I, I had lunch with his mom. And she just floored me with what she said. You know, she said, you know, when Donald brought home his friend from school, it was like there was a lot of like big eyes in the house, basically meaning that, you know, he had brought home this black kid to this white neighborhood. But they were very cool, obviously. But they used to get a lot of looks from the other families. It was a, a very affluent 
um, area in Vancouver called Shaughnessy. And, you know, when they'd bring me to the hockey games and stuff like that, but I had no idea they, you know, nobody, but it was interesting to hear that later on. And then, you know, Vancouver, like I say, it's a small town. So everybody knows everybody. Um, we played sports, we had fun. I was in a gang called the Humble Heads, but you know, our version of the gang was a bunch of kids just hanging around and like, you know, toilet paper in houses and stuff like that. That's that, that was us being bad, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, so it was good. It was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun and, you know, a lot of great memories. It's not something, you know, my dad's passed since and my mom's passed. Uh, we do have big family there, but, um, you know, I don't really have any reason to go back there right now per se, you know? So right. I haven't been there for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, well, in high school, you were a track star. Did mm -hmm. you have any involvement in the arts or any interest in acting back then? Yeah, it's a, a great question, Stephanie. And funny, the big answer and the short answer is no. Um, <laughs> I was the jock. My dream was to make the 84 Olympics. I actually dated when I when I got my first acting role. I was actually dating, so I was like the high school jock, and she was the drama queen. So I did used to go to her plays and you know rehearsals and stuff to support her. But I used to sit there, and I was not inspired by that at all. I didn't. I just thought that was weird, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, like yeah, I'm not ever doing any of that. And then um, you know, I got my first acting job kind of by accident I guess you could say because you know that was when um, Hollywood was coming to Vancouver you know they were starting to build the studios out there they were starting to make a lot of movies there because of the the tax deductions and stuff like that and there was a movie called Harry Tracy Last Desperado they needed a young black kid for that that part and they just went around and they found three of us at three different schools brought us in auditioned I had no idea what I was doing um, but I got the part and um, you know what happened from that was it, it's an interesting story because this was 19 uh, I graduated in 81 so maybe this was like 80 or 79 something like that and um, you know years later once again because this would never fly but uh, my mom uh, produced my contract she produced the call sheet from that first movie I did and it said my original name used to be Rail Johnson before I got adopted by my dad but um so it said Rail Johnson black boy was the oh. character and it said black boy on on the contract so you know I mean that wouldn't really fly these days but what was crazy was so I'm sitting in the makeup chair and they're making me darker because I wasn't black enough. So I'm sitting there yeah. and they're, they're making my makeup darker. And then in walks this guy, this Caucasian guy. And they asked me, you know, and I, I'm just new to all of this, right? I'm learning that if you don't have coffee on the set, it's like you're getting fired. And the guy did. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. Um, but the guy, uh, so they say, hey, can you stand up back to back to this guy? This guy comes in. I stand up back to back. They go, yeah, that'll work. Awesome. I go back to the makeup chair and he, he disappears. And then an hour later, he comes back. He's black now. He has an afro on and he's going to be my stunt double. Right. And so long story short, we became friends at the end of the movie. He was like, hey, you're into sports. You're really athletic. They're starting to do a lot of movies here. There's no black stuntman. You know, you can make a lot of money. Um, and I heard him say you can make a lot of money. <laughs> and so I said yes. And then I became the first African-American stuntman, black African-American stuntman in Canada. And that's kind of how my career started, just playing every every bad guy you could ever imagine because I could take a punch, I could throw a punch, I could go through walls and do stunts. And of course, you know, you know, back then every movie had a bad black guy. So there was a lot of work and I worked a lot and that's wow. how it started. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. What's the like craziest or most dangerous thing you, you did when stuntman was your career? Yeah. Um, I know, the one that freaked me out the most was that was an episode of Hitchhiker. Um, and I was doubling this old guy on it. And it, it was about a, it wasn't that huge, but it's huge for me because I'm afraid of heights. 
So it was about a 30-foot stunt uh, uh, high fall. And the, the gag was that I was going to break, like lean on the railing. Um, it was Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker uh, 3D or uh, 13. It was like a cool series back in the day. And when I lean on the railing, they had a breakaway railing, and I'm supposed to fall through the railing and just fall over and fall on my back on the mat. And that, that would be it. Pretty basic thing. Well, what happened was when I leaned on the railing and I broke through the railing, my the, the thing of my pant like just caught for a split second on the railing and that's all it took and it sent me into like like massive revolutions and I did like three and a half turns and like landed on my back and, and the, the, the director of course loved it but because it wasn't what I was supposed to do the cameraman missed it and the director's like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Can you do that again? And I'm looking at the <laughs> coordinator going, my heart is like, I used to have nightmares about that. So oh, like, just going over and over again in my head because it's so easy. You could have fallen on your stomach and that wouldn't be a good deal, you know. And yeah. then um, there was, uh, uh, we had uh, some crazy stuff on Police Academy. What was that, four or five jumping cars and stuff like that. So. That's that's probably the most things I did that was crazy crazy it was the high falls and the and then of course there were a lot of stuff like because I was always like want to be like I'll tell you two funny so I want to be like the method actor right so I'll tell you two funny stories so I did this show Lonesome Dove where mm -hmm. I played the the series and so I come in and this was when I'm into acting I'm like the lead actor on the show and I'm supposed to be the baddest gunslinger ever to be on that show and um, so when I go through the, the works and I get the props, I, the guy goes, do you have any things you want to do with your character? And I said, yeah, I want to be like, you know, like spitting tobacco and chewing tobacco and everything. And he was like, he's like, okay, cool. He says, do you chew tobacco? And I'm like, no, no, I never have. And he goes, well, we got this fake stuff. It's like licorice, but it, I'm no, 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 dude. No, I want the real stuff. And the guy looks at me and the guy goes, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, okay, all right. <laughs> but you never used it before, right? And I go, no, but I'm good. I'll figure it out. And he's like, oh, okay. So you know where that was going. So he gave it to me. And, of course, I didn't know you were not supposed to swallow it. And I'm chewing it. And within, like, 20 seconds, the room's spinning. And I'm like, you know, that was like the other thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I stopped, I stopped not listening after this. So then I was doing a show. Uh, Don Johnson, because I was always trying to be the tough guy, right? Mm -hmm. I was trying to just, what was it, Don Johnson? Nash Bridges? Yes, Nash Bridges. And I was playing, they, they had me, I was to run into this enclosed room, and I had like an M16, I think, and I was supposed to go like, like that, and then deliver a line. Well, they were like, hey, we need to give you earplugs. And I'm like, no, no, dude, no, I don't need earplugs, dude. I'm good. I need to be able to hear myself act and so I can say my lines. And they're like, really? Well, you really should? No, no, I'm good. He doesn't want earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk into this room and I go, <clears throat> and of course I got shell shock. I mean, oh my gosh, it was the worst. Like, like, so yeah, from now I just listen to people. I, I say, <laughs> my, my new thing is now when wardrobe or props or the, the writers ask me like stuff like that, I go, hey, listen, it's not my name on the credits when you get your award, so you guys make those choices. I'm Who do you? Yeah, I just do the acting, that's my job. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, um, how did you ultimately land in Los Angeles? You know, I was actually doing, it was Police Academy 5, and I was doing a lot of, like I said, stunt roles, and I was doing more and more bigger roles with more lines, but still, they were really the, you know, the smaller parts where they wanted somebody who could do stunts. And um, then I got a really big role on Night Heat, a show, and I hope nobody ever finds the show, because... <laughs> It was the worst acting ever. <laughs> but it was a big part. And I played this psycho army guy who was chasing around this girl to kill her that knew that knew I did something or whatever. And I, of course, had no acting skills. And I played it with one note the whole way through. And But that was the thing when I said, you know what? I want to take this serious now. 
And when I decided to take it serious, the guy that I was, the, the stunt coordinator on, uh, on um, Police Academy 5 was a guy named Kerry Russell, and he became like my second dad. We just be, and then he said, hey, dude, if you ever want to hang your hat in my house, and, and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take you up on that. And that was five years later. Um, I hung my hat in his house for five years, and that's how I started my career. I came out here and just threw myself into it. I didn't have a car, didn't have nothing. Uh, landed on Hollywood and um, where was that? Hollywood and Vine. I remember that. I had my suitcase, everything. Walked down Sunset. Had some agency wow. appointments, um, and one of them happened to be with Scott Manners from Stone Manners, okay. and he said he would sign me, and uh, that that was it, man. That's how it started. That's Got into acting classes and all that stuff. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, in, it was in 1992 that you made your soap opera debut, maybe a little bit inauspicious, playing a boxing trainer for a few days on Santa Barbara. What do you remember about that experience? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good one, Mara. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember that well because um, that was interesting because I used to work out at Goals, North Hollywood, the gym in Goals, North Hollywood. And a lot of everybody was there at that gym. That's actually where I met my wife. And um, I was on the stair steppers, right? And the desk was right there. And, you know, I have background in boxing and stuff, and I trained boxing and stuff like that. And I was there when somebody from NBC, from, um, from uh, Days, no, 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 was it Santa Barbara, sorry, called, and said, hey, we're looking for a boxer who can act. And I heard that. I heard them, and, and I got off the thing, and I said, hey, dude, I, I'm a boxer. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, really? And they gave me the number, and I called them, and, and I got the part, and there it was. That's incredible. Um, and then three years later, you did wind up on Days of Our Lives, playing a cop opposite Christian Alfonso's Hope. So what do you remember about that experience? Um, you know, she, I mean, that was a small part, um, at the time, but it was a big part for me at that time. And, you know, working opposite Christian, Alfonso uh, was huge for me at that time. Um, I remember I was, you know, crapping bricks for lack of better words, you know, <laughs> um, you know, cause it's funny. We were just talking about this on GH the other day. Uh, you just have such mad respect for um, once you get to the level that we're at for actors that have those under five lines and those smaller parts, mm -hmm. those gotta be the worst. I mean, they're just, there's so much pressure on you. You're so excited to have the part. You don't want to mess up. You've been told this isn't a feature. You get one take, you know, and all of that stuff, you know, uh, it's like, for me, the biggest one was General Hospital. I mean, I remember that to this day. I mean, a lot of people don't know this. I don't know if you guys probably know this, but Taggart was uh, an under five. Taggart was an under five part. And all I, the only line I had was, I'm Lieutenant Taggart from the PCPD. That's all I had to say. And man, I had nightmares about that. For like. <laughs> Like a week, you know, it's the old thing. I'm Lieutenant Taggart from the PCP. I'm Lieutenant Taggart, the piece. Lieutenant Taggart, PCPD. I mean, just like, you know, I mean, I remember writing out the PCPD in different ways because I could not, I could not get those four letters together in my head. And I was freaking out that I was going to blow it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. One thing that I love is that you actually watched. General Hospital. So I want to know, before we get to you joining the show, when you knew you were going to be on GH and you started, like, who were you a fan of from the show just when you were watching? And, like, how did you get into watching? Yeah, I, I was a huge fan. Um, you know, I was part of the, the generation where we skipped school. I remember the, the Luke and Laura wedding. You know, we, we skipped school for that. You know, we used to skip school to watch General Hospital. So, you know, I knew the Quartermains. I knew Luke and Laura and, you know, um, 
you know, Sonny and, you know, um, all of those characters back then. And so when I got General Hospital, I was, I was like completely starstruck. I've only really been starstruck. It's interesting because I've really only been starstruck twice in my life. And General Hospital was one of them those first days, especially still to this day, because I have respect for them, such mad respect. And the other was Jack Nicholson, because that's why I became an actor was from Jack Nicholson, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And when I I was cast in a movie, uh, Postcards from the Edge, the Carrie Fisher uh, movie, um, they had a big A, 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 whatever you call it, A-list party at Carrie Fisher's house. And everybody, and, and I was brand new to Hollywood. I just, you know, had got this great role on this movie. Um, a small part, but like I said, I mean, like Robin Williams, I mean, I mean, Tom Hanks, I mean, everybody was anybody was at that party. It was crazy. crazy. And yeah, and I'm sitting down at this party at this table. And I'm, I'm just like, just, I'm just like, cause it's pretty cool, but I'm not like in awe. I'm just like, this is cool. And I'm looking around all the different people. Right. And then I saw Jack. And I had a moment there, but I went back to what I was doing. And then later on, I got my food. I sit down at the table and I'm eating. And then I hear this, do you mind if I have a seat? Is this seat <laughs> taken? And I go, "Woo!" <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to get it together inside, right? I'm like, I'm, no, I mean, hey, dude, my friend was sitting there, but who, who cares about him? Go ahead. You can sit there. I don't, there. Even, know <laughs> I don't <laughs> even know him. I don't know who he was. He's gone, right? You know? That's Incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And then what happened at GH for your second yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, you know, I, I'll never forget coming in that building and walking down the hall. And the first name I saw was Alan Quartermain or Stephen, Steve. Um, I can't Stuart Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart Damon. And then he, and I'm looking in his room and then he comes out of it. And, you know, he doesn't know me or anything, really. But, you know, um, and then I saw I saw Leslie Charlson was next. Um, I saw Jeannie Francis that day. And I saw Luke or Tony Gary. See, I know them all. I get them mixed up. <laughs> and, and I was just like, just like a little kid. It was just like, it was like these people are, you know, it's something, you know what? You know what, Stephanie and Mara, it's like soap operas, I think, in my opinion, I've thought about this a lot, just because of the way um, people react to us, or, or I was reacting to them when I came in. They're different than feature actors, in my opinion, because, you know, it's like Tom Cruise is like, he's massive, but, you know, he comes out, he does a movie, and then maybe the movie's out for a month or so, and then maybe you don't hear from him for like two or three years or whatever you do. But with the soap operas, these actors are in your house every single day, five days a week. And as you know, it's like, it's different. It's not like, oh my God, it's Tom Cruise. It's like, hey, Tagger, what's going on, Tagger? How are you doing, man? What the heck is, why aren't you asking Dara out, dude? Like, why do you break up with Dara? I'm like, because uh, the writers told me to. Um, but, you know, um, and then here comes Maurice, you know, and um, I'll never forget that because everybody on GH is very, very fair. It's, it's a, it truly is amazing, Cass. I'm not just saying that because I'm on it right now. I've been blessed that I've been on every single soap except Y&R and Bold and Beautiful, and they're all amazing, but General Hospital is magic in a different way. I don't really know how to even explain it, but it's, it's different. And um, the cast is different and the community and the crew and everything but here comes Maurice and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand and he basically goes right past my hand and goes into a hug and we never looked back from there dude I mean he was he was the first one to tell me that I was bipolar he like within weeks of knowing and of course I wasn't accepting that and I wasn't hearing it but he was the first one. He looked at me and he said, he said, I see you, man. I get you. And I was wow. like, what do you mean? And he says, he said, you're bipolar. He said, I understand your challenge. And I'm like, um, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. 
Um, but he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. Wow. Pretty incredible. Um, so my understanding of, of how it went with you in the early days, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that basically the first time Sonny and Taggart were in a scene together, GH said, under five, schmunder five, we gotta keep <laughs> this guy. So tell us, tell us what happened. Uh, that's ex- you're absolutely right. That's what happened. I had the uh, I'm Lieutenant Taggart, PCPD, um, in the booth. They saw something that they'd never seen between Maurice and anybody. Somebody that, in their words, could stand up to him and play against him. And they called my agent and immediately offered me a contract. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much how it went down. Wow, that is crazy. And it must have been mind-blowing for you to, like, come and be on a show that you were already a fan of and you're already, like, you know, you had one line and now you have a contract. Like, that's incredible. Um, Now, you talked about your relationship with Maurice. Now, you guys have been close for, um, you know, a really long time at this point. He was the best man in your wedding. Um, So just sort of tell us how that relationship developed and how would you rate him as a best man? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he is the best, best man ever, you know, <laughs> you're going to be emotional talking about Maurice. Um, you if know, I'm doing, I'm focusing, I'm re I'm refocusing here. You know, Maurice is one of those friends, you know, that we're just friends for life and we'll be friends till the day we die and in our after death. And it's like, you know, like, um, we didn't really talk for 17 years, but we didn't miss a beat. It was, it's one of those friendships, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm 57 years old and by choice of my own, um, I, I honestly really don't have more than five friends. If that, that I would consider like my real friends that I'd say are going to be in my real, real tight sacred circle. Um, and Maurice is one of them. And I'm just, like I said, from the minute he hugged me, it just, it, it was like, we just knew each other forever. And we just always connected. Um, you know, I love him more than life. He loves me more than life. You know, he's always there for me. I'm there for him. Um, you know, he's, he's my biggest fan. In, in acting he truly is and, and I trust him with everything I do and I, I always go to him um, to help me be the best I can be in my scenes you know when when I when I need them and uh, and he's always mentored me even when we didn't know each other like we know each other now he would he just has a way it's not just me other actors I've heard he has a way to want the best out of you and cares enough to but he's also a, a consummate professional. So you need to do your part. You need to show up. Um, and we're both really hardcore, disciplined, hardworking. So we have that kind of respect for each other as well. You know, Steve's in that group as well, you know, specifically. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's what if you were to – I guess the best way to describe Maurice is if you were to look up what the meaning of a friend is in a dictionary, they'd have a big picture of Maurice. That's so sweet. Ay, ay, ay. Get me emotional and choked up. Okay, <laughs> so back in the day, we know that Taggart had very little use for Sonny, and he was equally disdainful of Jason, played by Steve Burton, who you just mentioned. Which, uh, which do you think was the finest nickname that you improved for Jason? <laughs> Anger Boy? Chia pet or quarter break. <laughs> well, anger boy for sure. But um, <laughs> oh man, uh, they love anger boy. Anger boy is pretty. But Chia, you know, <laughs> you know what's funny is um, I remember on this new. I, I'm going to say anger boy, but you made me laugh because I remember. And one, it was cool. That just goes to show you how talented our writers are. 17 years I'm gone and they literally bring back the first time, like right with anger boy. They don't forget. They know those things, but it was funny. We were on the set 
And Frank, you know, me and Frank are new. We've never worked together. And I did. I have such crazy respect for Frank, for real. That guy, you know, he's like, you know what I love about Frank is like, I, I sit there and I watch, dude, because it's funny. Because he's just like, he's like a stealth bomber. <laughs> like he's just like you know what I mean but he knows exactly what he wants he knows exactly and it's like it's just like but he's just in a loving but serious serious focused way and I just dig it dude I watch it and the show runs and hey listen look where we are right but I remember <laughs> we were on the set and I thought I was going to improvise quarter brain in the set now we'd already got anger boy in but we hadn't and i remember i was sitting there and i threw out quarter brain and everybody and then and then we were almost ready and then you see frank and see frank out of the corner of my eyes and he was like what did you just say <laughs> and i said oh i said quarter brain and he goes let's not <laughs> i said I said, okay, let's not. And he goes, no wonder we don't. We're not calling names today. And I said, okay. But I remember it was like so cool, just the way you did that. He went, no, let's not. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, well, in terms of the on-camera dynamic between Taggart and Sunny, um, give us your take about why it works so well and works still so well. Because I don't think most people are as as successful as holding their own with Maurice when he's doing his sunny thing as you are. Um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I take that as a huge compliment. Um, you know, Stephanie, it's one of those, and I know you guys will get this. It's like, it's just me and Maurice. It's just, that's chemistry. It's one of those things. And then when we take our acting skills on top of it, we can go to a whole new level, but we just naturally have chemistry, you know, um, and that's a rarity. There's a lot of amazing actors who can create chemistry and mm -hmm. make it, you know, but there's something special when you don't have to create it and then you can build on top of it. And it's just like, you know, me and Maurice, it's like when we're acting, we're like, two pit bulls in a dog fight or we're like you know we're like you know like you know two animals in the wild like literally just circling each other and and you know or two prize fighters it's that's really what it's like dude. whether it's any scene it's always like and what i love about with with maurice and it's something actually it kind of started the way my DMO, my daily method of operation to prepare for a scene started way, 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 way back with me and Maurice because of the level of um, discipline and dedication that he would bring caused me to step up my game whenever I'd get to, to work with him. And what happened with that is I started to come to this thing like whenever I'm got a, when if I'm working, I never, ever, bring my script to the set. In my mind, if I have to leave my house with my script, I'm not prepared, I get paid to deliver my lines, and that's that's just the thing in my head. So I, I you'll never see me, it freaks people, you know, guy shows up like he's got the script or whatever. But that's just how I prepare and how I show up. So what happens when me and Maurice work, or with anybody, because I'm so prepared, I can just show up in front of somebody and not even worry about what my first word is and just be in the moment and then go, cause it's just there. And then, so when I stand in front of Maurice, like those two prize fighting fighters or stuff, and he does the same and it's just on and magic just happens. I, you know how you can, for me anyways, is I have to watch something when it comes out because even when I'm finished taping, like immediately, I can't remember what just happened because I'm that much in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Sense. Totally, totally. Now, uh, when I interviewed you, when you came back to the show, uh, we talked about how um, the Taggart back then was sort of one note. You know, he was all about taking Sonny down. He didn't have that fleshed out of a personal life. 
he didn't ask Dara out for a really long time. Uh, was that something that bothered you at the time or is that only something that you really took into consideration as you reflected back on the early years of Taggart? Okay, that's a great question. So do you want the keeping it real and the real answer? Yeah, yeah. always. <laughs> okay, so it's a great question because the, the honest truth to that was um, back in the day it irritated the hell out of me. Um, it, it, it consumed me. Um, but I was also a different person back then. I was just keeping it real. You know, I was a narcissist. I was uh, ego driven. Um, I wanted to be an actor so I could be famous and rich. I, I was just in a different, complete different place of where I am now, where I live in a world of gratitude. So because I was living in a world, it was always all about me. Why don't I have better lines? Why don't I have a bigger part? Why don't it me, me, me rather than being, I am so grateful that I have a part, you know? So back then, um, yeah, it, it was because it was all ego driven and stuff like that. But, but so, but fast forward to now, um, a, I'm in a different place, but also because I'm in that place, I can really appreciate, you know, whether it's one note or 20 notes. It's, mm -hmm. it's an amazing opportunity, but I am extremely grateful that I have 20 notes now. I mean, yeah. you know, Taggart definitely was a one note actor. You know, you're going down, you have the right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be, you know, um, and me and Maurice you know, for selfish reasons, but are so, we talk about this all the time now. The writing that the writing team is, is giving and the colors, you know, uh, I'm extremely grateful. You know, what Frank and the producers are blessing us with in the storyline is we, we've wanted that for 27 years because there's only so much you can do with, you have the right to remain silent, you're going down. You know, but now with these different levels and these different colors and now we're working together and I have a daughter and an ex-wife and a, who knows what's going on with Jordan. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, a lot of great stuff. Well, it's really amazing. It says a lot about you that you can have the perspective to look back and see yourself then versus, you know, seeing yourself now. Um, well, you did leave GH for a spell to do Soldier of Fortune. Then you returned and left again in 2003. Uh, later that same year, you popped up on As the World Turns as Walker, where you worked with Colleen Zenk as Barbara. So tell us about your World Turns experience. Yes. So um, As the World Turns was a incredible experience on a different level. I, I, you know, I actually believe that I grew a lot there as an actor because what I would see was, and I, I think this will make sense to you because you're East Coast, but back then the East Coast soap operas, the majority of are what I experienced anyways, were primarily big time stage actors. Like these actors had, know their shot, their shots, okay? I didn't even know, when you tell me upstage or downstage, I didn't know, what, what, do, you, what do you mean upstage? I, I, you know what I mean? Because I'm not, I wasn't theatrically trained. Mm -hmm. But these guys were, so now I went from, you know, and where a lot of soap operas, you've got actors that, you know, Six foot three, good looking, blonde hair, six pack abs, you know, kind of act. Let's get them in an acting class. And, you know, where you're dealing with these guys, like, that's, they're serious. Mm -hmm. And they look at you like, you know, I, I, the way I felt it, I guess what I'm trying to say when I first went there, I think there was a, and rightfully deserved, arrogance of the East Coast theatrically trained actors over these California actors who haven't paid their dues, if that makes any sense, right? And um, so now you're working with like, you know, I worked with, like you say, Colleen, you know, she's like, what? Wasn't she like Tony? She won stuff, different stuff in acting. I worked with who was the, the police chief who unfortunately passed away? What was his Benjamin name? Benjamin Hendrickson. Yeah, I mean, those guys are like legends. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I'm working with them and it just took me to a whole nother level because, um, you know, the best way to describe it is this, is when I was back in the day when I was working on the shows, I got very disciplined and really good at learning my lines and delivering my lines, right? That was, that's really what I was doing, right? And then when I went to New York, I learned how to color my lines. I learned how to put layers behind my lines. Mm -hmm. I learned how to put depth behind my lines and feelings and all of that. And so it was, that was a big transition for me in a good way. Now, I, I remember you did, uh, a brief run on all my children, but then in uh, in from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen, we saw you back on Days of Our Lives. Now with a few more lines, um, and you played Jade's father, Hal. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was uh, you crossed paths there in story with Mary Beth Evans and Stephen Nichols, who had been on Jade when you were there. Um, so tell us about your day's experience and about having to rough up Kayla. How dare you? Uh, yeah i know right um well yeah i mean it's yeah when those paths cross again i remember working with patch right because we knew him as patch back in the day and mary beth and then i was also working with mary beth on the bay right the series Mm -hmm. because she was doing that as well so and you know once again these both of these actors are legends you know like for real legends and um yeah i did rough her up a little bit and everything but uh what am i supposed to do i get a chance like that to stick a needle in her neck and you know tell people to back off and yeah it it (laughs) was a lot of fun yeah well let's fast forward to late 2019 so tell us the story of getting the call from mark teshner gh's casting director letting you know that the show wanted to bring you back as taggart Yeah, you know, you guys are going to get me emotional again. Um, it was it was a big day, like a really big day for me, you know. Um, there was a lot that went on from me leaving the show to getting to that call. Um, you know, like I shared earlier, I was in a completely different place when I was younger. Um, For lack of better words, you know, um, I made a a lot of stupid decisions in my life at the time because my ego was so big and I had people playing into that ego. Oh, you deserve more. You're this and and that. And, you know, so that's, I basically uh, said no to Mickey um, when they offered me a, a new contract, which was, you know, in hindsight, that was not one of my better decisions. Um, but it also started me down a road of self-destruction in a lot of different ways because I really quickly realized that, that was not a good decision, you know. Um, made a lot of, well, you know, I'm pretty open with myself, so I just talked. But, you know, I became very heavily addicted with alcohol and, you know, drugs and stuff like that, just, you know, partying like that was my life. Um, You know, stuff that I didn't realize at the time. And, you know, about two years ago, two years ago this Christmas day, I got sober. Um, That's great. Thank you. And that's when I realized what a nightmare I had been for the past 17 years. You know, when you're in it, you don't, you don't realize it, you know, I'm, and I'm so grateful on another note that I have the most amazing wife in the world that's still here with me um, and a family like that. I'm so grateful for that. But what would happen was there probably wasn't a day that went by in 17 years. <laughs> Sorry. That um, I didn't beat myself up in one way or another. Trying to get back on the show. Yeah, trying to get back on the show, apologizing, trying to do things right because, you know, GH is amazing. It's it's like I say, it really is. And if you're part of that family, you know what I'm talking about. And I I was on top of the world. I really was. I 
I had an amazing life. My my family had an amazing life, and and it really was all because of GH. And so I really, really beat myself up, and and you know, uh, a lot. And I'd have moments where, and then finally, when you know, for me, it was like. I remember for me, it's a bit of a spiritual thing, and I'll share with you, I shared, you know, so what happens when you're in a program is step three, you know, says you turn it all over to your higher power, whatever you consider that, God, you know. And I remember that, you know, and a big thing for me, like I said, every day I just used to try to think about it or beat myself up or say how it is, blah, 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 um, and try to fix it or whatever. And when I took finally took that step and he said do you turn it all over to god and i said yeah and and but he said do, do you really and then i said i walked away from that going wasn't he listening to me i t- i said it three times and then i realized that i really didn't turn things over to god i went to church and i did all that stuff and so what happened mar and stephanie is that day and you have to know three is my thing three is my number anybody who follows me three is my thing step three so watch it's step three in the program and that I had to do. And, and I literally said, I'll never forget these words. I said, God, I said, if it's not meant for me to go back to GH, if I'm not supposed to be there, if people don't want me to be there, you know what? So be it. But if you want me to be there, they can't stop you. And I released it and I walked away from it. And then three days later, I'm in my kitchen right here. And I never have the ringer on my phone on, but for some reason it was on and it buzzed and I look over and it's Mark Tashner from ABC. And I just dropped my knees and I just started crying because I knew he wasn't calling me to say, Hey, how are you doing? And, uh, and it was the best day ever, dude. And, um, yeah, it was like, it was like, wow. Oh, goodness gracious. So um, there was uh, so much fan excitement when Taggart returned to the screen and they, they kept it a surprise. Uh, what did that part of it mean to you to see that, you know, however much you had wanted to be back, the fans were excited to have you back? It was huge. It, it was so... It was so overwhelming. I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. I was, you know, uh, it'd been 17 years, dude, and I was just blown away with how supportive they were and how grateful they were to have me back. And, uh, yeah, it was just humbling, humbling, to be honest with you. Ah. Now, did you know from the start when you came back that the plan was for Taggart to die? No. Okay. I and didn't. how did you react then? <laughs> well, you know, they 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 had planned to bring me back for I think about seven shows or something, but we didn't know that. So of course, um, I'm back. You know, <laughs> you know, I was so excited. It was like, wow, it's, you know, and, um, you know, I'm getting an amazing storyline. I got a daughter and, and now I'm potentially going to be working with Maurice, which is something we've always wanted to do. And I'm intertwining these different storylines. So we're thinking, you know, me and my agent are, are, are talking, you know, that's Paula. She's Maurice's uh, wife. And, um, you know, like, wow this is amazing. That's right. And and yeah. And then I, you know, I'm on top of the world. Right. And, uh, you know, I come down the stairs from shooting, finishing a day and Mark Teshner's at the bottom of the stairs. And I love Mark Teshner. He's like, he's always been my biggest fan. Um, for real. Um, and, uh, he's at the bottom of the stairs and he said, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, absolutely right um I'm, you know so we go in my dress room and he said oh, i just wanted to give you a heads up i didn't want you to you know be surprised or taken back but you know the next script you're going to get is um you're going to be killed and i was like okay <laughs> but i was well, that's what was going on inside of me but on, on the outside i'm like just trying to be all cool and, and play it off 
And, um, but you know, I was floored. I was, I was really, really disappointed. Um, but also once again, in the different part of my life, I was grateful and I was grateful to have had seven amazing shows and, and to have been able to come back and, and be the one to, um, bring Taggart back and be the one to, to put Taggart to rest per se. You know, so I was really, really grateful for that. But I'd be lying if I didn't. I was bummed. I, I was very, very disappointed and, and bummed. Yeah. So well, how did you get the word? Yeah, like of the reprieve. Well, and this is one of those things because I know there's still some fans are, are, are champions, GH champions. I don't like that word, fans. Um, that still think it was the plan. And I'm just telling you, it was not the plan. Taggart was D-A-E dead. He was dead. <laughs> and this is really one of those things where I am extremely grateful. I will never be able to pay you all back because you really brought Taggart back. You, I mean, I'm grateful that Frank and the producers and the writers were open, um, but you did it. You all made that happen for real. If it wasn't for the noise you made and the fighting you did, uh, Taggart absolutely would still be dead, for real. Mm -hmm. um, and we just got, how did that call come now? I forget now. Man, I'm blanking on that one, but it was a great day, that's for sure. Oh, I bet. You had a joy blackout. Yeah, I did actually have a joy blackout. I remember it was Frank calling, um, it was Frank calling Paula and saying something about that, you know, I think I was up for another show or a movie or something like that, if I remember correctly, and they were like, no. No, no, we got some plans for him. And she was like, really? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, and they were still in the thing, and oh, and then you know what happened? So I was supposed to come back, Right before, like, the Friday that they shut down for a pandemic, I was supposed to shoot Monday. Wow. Yeah. And then Paula called me. And so, so now, so from that point, we did know, but we didn't know when. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, but yeah. So, and it's like, and then there goes that number three again, right? The third time back for Tagger. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And then this time around, they've really so fleshed out this character so much more by giving him an ex-wife, a history with Jordan, a beautiful daughter, and Trina. So, you know, how would you describe the experience now of all the things that you wished for? And here they are. Uh, a dream come true. Like, for real. It's an actor's dream, man. To, I mean... If I was to write that for myself, I wouldn't write it that good. Not even close. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I would have been happy with an ex-wife. But I got an ex-wife. I got a daughter. I've got, you know, uh, working with my nemesis. I've got, you know, um, there's Jordan. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> What's going on with Jordan, right? I mean, that's a whole other thing. Um, but there's like so many, and that's like so crazy and so much fun as an actor to be able to have those different levels and colors and stuff. And it's like, and now it's like, you know, I had some scenes with um, uh, Epiphany the other day, there, and people are like freaking out. Over we this. love them. Yeah, she's wonderful. Well, you did mention that Maurice was the first to point out your bipolar diagnosis, but it was not something you were accepting at the time. At what point did you accept it? And where are you today with that? I accepted that about for real, mm -hmm. accepted it about December, I want to say December um, 17th of like to like just prior to um going into aa and that's when i finally and i remember i things had uh no 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 i'm i'm wrong 
I got my timelines wrong. Sorry, hold on. I gone into AA. Then it was six months into sobriety. Okay, yeah, that's right. So, because what had happened was, um, and this was all part of the process, um, I was still in denial. I was still like, oh, yeah, I drink a lot. And, you know, I just finished three hip surgeries. And I was blaming my addiction to opioids on the surgery. You know, I still really wasn't um, in that place where I was taking ownership of it. And then what happened at about six months, I started to spiral like really bad into like a really dark depression. And I, for years I had got to where I could say, I got these tools or these tricks that I can pull myself out and, and get through it. And nothing I was doing was working, nothing. And, and I, I was just like, I got so dark where I almost, like I almost took my life. That's how dark it got. Gosh. And, I remember I was driving to AA meeting and it hit me. I was sober. I wasn't self-medicated anymore. So I had nowhere to run. I had nowhere to hide. So this depression was hitting me straight in the face. And, and it, like I said, and it got to the point where um, I almost took my life. And I said, I, I remember thinking about my kids and being a believer, um, believing that if you take your own life, you're not going to get to, you know, that's what I believe. And so it made me say, I'm going to fight one more time. I'm going to fight this one more time. And I went to my wife and I remember we were sitting right over here in Vaughn's and um, I'd made an appointment to go to the doctor but I was still fighting it. And I said to her, I said, you know, because to me going to the doctor at that time meant giving up. It meant that my life was going to be over. It meant that I was going to be um, taking pills for the rest of the life was what, what I watched my mom die from. Um, and so I wasn't excited about it. And, you know, I remember still fighting with my wife in that car and saying, you know what? I just, I can't do this. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go to the doctor tomorrow. I'm not going to do it. And she looked at me and she said, Raul, she said, you know, I love you, don't you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, do you think it's easy being your husband? And I was like, well, I don't think it's that bad. And she goes, really? And uh, she just, you know, shared with me how hard it is how much my kids miss me as a father um, because I wasn't present. And then she looked at me and she said, what if, Rael? What if it works? That's amazing. That's incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I went and it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> well, thank you, Michelle Andrews for, yeah. <laughs> for that. And, and good on you, obviously for, uh, it's, it's not easy. So good for you for finding yeah. the courage to go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, so Brayal, <laughs> before we let you go, and I think yeah. we could sit here and talk to you for like 10 more hours and Ditto, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, but next year it's going to be the 25th anniversary of your entrance into the Port Charles scene. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. It's incredible. Now, before we let you go, mm -hmm. how would you sum up what it has meant to you uh, personally and professionally to have been a part of this show? Professionally, it's, you know, I've been blessed beyond that I've been able to do it all. Um, I've done stage, I've done commercials, I've done comedy, you know, episodical, you know, nighttime, daytime, you know, all of that. And worked with all different kind of amazing actors, crews, productions, all of that. But there is nothing. And I think about this all the time and I, I apologize. I really don't know how to put it into words, but other than like magical legacy um you know being part of 
GH and working with those those actors being directed by those directors, having writers like that write and bring your character to life, having producers like, you know, Frank and, and, and that, that put it all together. It's, it's an actor's dream, in my opinion. It's, you know, I could go home tomorrow to be with my Lord and Savior. And in terms of as an actor being fulfilled, I'm content. And, you know, it doesn't mean I don't want more, but I'm really content on all levels. Um, you know, that's the professional side of it. Um, personally, it's, you know, once again, it's kind of the same in the way that when you find something that you're truly called to be, that's truly what your gifting is, and it's taken away from you for whatever reason, you're not complete. You're empty. You're like, you know, if it's something you really, so when I was able to come back and to be able to take it to 25 years um, and be part of a quarter of a century, once again, it's like, this, it's, it completes me, man. It just, it really, it's like that funny, you complete me. I'm, I'm like, and once again, it's like, especially now, it's like, I live and die to, it's, I don't know, it sounds crazy, but it's really not. I live and die to do General Hospital. I, I, I am no happier than when I'm doing General Hospital. Um, the only other time I'm more happy is when I'm changing lives. But I just, it's like, it's so amazing and I am so grateful that I have something that, I mean, I'm 57 years old. And when I get like the new, the, when I get the email I'm to now and I get the email of the, the new scripts, I can hardly wait to, to do them. And I love to go to the stairs and you know, three in the morning and run and just, but, but now I'm like, I can't wait to get to the set to bring these scenes to life, dude. And how cool is that, dude? Rather than just like, oh, I got to go to work. Right. I, so cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, Rael, this has just been an amazing talk. And thank you for your honesty and your openness and for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on your show. And I appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Rayal Andrews for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.